Well, I should tell you this. It's been over 20 years since I've done this. I pastored a little church over in Fenton for about seven years, traveled to different churches. But over 20 years since I've actually addressed a group of people like this. So bear with me. We'll see if it still works. Hi, Nikki. Yes, he is, all the time. He sequestered me for 11 years in a kind of an interesting situation, and my dear bride carried on without me for 11 years, raised our daughters, of whom I have my youngest right here, Johanna, with her friend Connor. And now I want to tell you that if I go too long or if I go off on too many rabbit tracks or we start getting tired and bored, my wife will catch me and do this, and that's over. She's good at that, okay, I'll watch her. So, because uh, I could talk for about a week nonstop, and then we'll take a break, and I go for another week, I could do that and not repeat myself. So, it's just, you know, how it is. I have three groups of scripture I'd like to talk from this morning. And uh, lying in bed this morning, I was feeling quite weak in terms of the spirit. And that's real good. That's where we should be. Because something wonderful happened to us when we received Christ. When Jesus died, I didn't know I'm going this way. Hang on. So when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he took the body of the sins of the flesh. He took the natural man, the one that was born from his mother's womb, the sinner. Because without Christ, we're all sinners. And that's not a condemnation or a put down. It's just a fact. It's kind of like up is up and down is down. It's a fact. We're sinners until we've let Jesus bring his life to us. So your old man died and you were dead to God, quite alive in the world, Moving about and doing your thing. I did 34 years. I didn't know that I was dead to God. But God, by His mercy, put me in a situation and called me out. And I responded. And I received His life. I did not understand at that time, and I think a lot of us don't understand even today. I did not understand what really took place when I said yes. That a great exchange took place. That body of the sins of the flesh that I lived in for 34 years was washed away from me. And what replaced that was Christ himself, God. The fullness of the Godhead came into me, into you. Now my life didn't look like that yet. Because it's one thing to have my spirit born. Oh, boy. It's something else to have my soul converted, transformed into the reality of that life that my spirit received. Because we're a three-part being. We have a spirit, soul, and a body. We had a spirit before we were born again. It was just dead to God, that's all. So this is the great plan that God has. That he scours the earth and he calls and he finds people like us. 
And he woos us and we come to him. We repent, we turn, we change our mind. And we say yes to God. And somehow that believing brought faith that I could say, Jesus. And I was sealed right there. Then I, I obeyed him. My first, my first uh, uh, expression of obedience, my wife and I were in a large church in Detroit. And we went forward to be baptized in water. I didn't know why at that time, but that wasn't important. I knew I had to be baptized, and she did too, so we got baptized. That was probably December or something of 1976. We've been in him for 42 plus years. But then thereafter, something else happened to me. I was baptized with the Spirit of God. And a real seal was put on me at that point, power in our lives. Actually, my wife experienced that before I did. More simple than me. Less pride. So then as we grew, we began to understand some things. And we began to understand that from before the beginning of the world, it says in, in uh, Genesis, in the beginning God created. Well, the beginning he's talking about is not the beginning of time or the beginning of God. It's the beginning of heaven and earth that we understand today. That's what he was talking about. Before then, his plan was for us to respond and become a part of that eternal family that he wanted. People in his image. You see, you were made in the image of God, and God looks just like you. I know it's hard to get a hold of, but he looks just like you. I don't mean your physical features, because we're all so different. But the fact that you're a spirit, soul, and body, God has created us in his image. It's so simple. It's not easy to understand, but it's simple. And we have to really get simple to understand the things of God. I better go to where I want to go before I sat down. Because we can't know God at all or his purpose except we're born of that spirit. We can't know him. So we must forsake our way and say, God, go right. I'm leaving that life. And I'm coming to you to respond to your call and to receive your gift. And things change in us. Our conversation changes. Our life changes. And that's deeply important. But now I want to show you something else. In chapter 6 of Hebrews, the first two verses, I almost went to the third. And I thought, I better not go there. That's another subject and a little deeper. In chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews, there's such a glorious liberty in being a son of God. By the way, when I use the word son of God, I'm not speaking of a gender. It's not male or female. It's a different species, a whole new creation that never was before. Son of God. Therefore, 
leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on under perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, tisms, the laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Boy, if you think about those, that comprises the entire foundation in life of, of our experience with God. And he says, leave those. Don't forget them. But they were tools that brought you into a place that God can take us on into maturity and into perfection. Now, the word perfection usually drums up thoughts of the moral law, the moral code, people you might like or do the right things. And while that's a part of it, the soul coming under a moral law, because there is no law to Christ, because who, who he is, he's moral, and that's who you are. But until we, can't, we, we grab a hold of that, it's easy to walk in the flesh. He says, lay those aside. They were tools to bring you into the path that God is going to use. The laying on of hands. I mean, that's something that we should all experience and be able to do because in my hands right here, right now, is Christ, the power of God. Parts gifts, parts of spirit, parts healing, and gives us power over our little world. I don't have power over the whole world. I can tell you right now, if we came together with understanding... We could change things in, in Lansing. Amen. We have power over the enemies that rule the political system. It's an enemy, always has been, will be. God set it up. It's hard to understand sometimes, but he did. So the laying on of hands imparts gifts and life, power, and healing. But it's an elementary principle the resurrection of the dead. We've experienced the resurrection of the dead. So we lay that aside. Because we've already come through. Eternal judgment. We never thought about eternal judgment until we were born again. Couldn't understand it. But now there's, we know there's an eternal judgment. And we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for our lives. And especially, what did we do with what we understood? So, okay. So he wants us to leave that. Well, to do what? Now let's go to Ephesians. Honey, was I more than 10 minutes on that? We don't want to set any short sermon precedents here, so... <laughs> During my time of sequestering, and some of you understand what I'm talking about and know the history that I've had recently, some of the difficulties that I enjoyed, the, the Lord opened up Ephesians to me. Ephesians is the will. I totally, absolutely, 100%, without question, without any issue, trust the Apostle Paul. I'll tell you why. 
Jesus never went to the Gentile. But somebody had to. And Jesus wanted to. Now, Jesus is not in earth. Did you know that? That he's not here on earth right now? He is not here. Jesus is in heaven. Now, there's two things that we haven't talked about too much, really, in the church. Remember, 42 years, and I have not heard it. We stop at the resurrection, and it's a glorious thing, but there's something else that happened, and I saw it in my vision. I saw him when he rose from the dead walk into the throne room of God like he owned the place, and the Father welcomed him, and he sat down on the throne right next to the Father and took his seat of authority. And, the, and, and God the Father backed away. It's yours for this season. So now the Scripture said that Jesus Christ is the head of all things to the church. He's the head. He stayed with his apostles for 40 days after he rose from the dead. And he taught them for 40 days concerning the things of the kingdom of God. You'll find that in Acts chapter 1 verse 3. 40 days. He'd already spent three years with them. But he told them things that they still didn't really understand. You see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... When you go to read that, it says New Testament. That's not New Testament. I'm sorry. It's it's the end of the Old Testament. New Testament began in Acts. So on the day of Pentecost, 10 days after he rose from the dead and, and walked into the Father's throne, he breathed back the very life that was resurrected. It's not some little piece of the Spirit. The very life. That 120 people who were in the upper room, each one of them received the fullness of the Godhead. Complete, nothing left. They were complete in Him. I'll show you that in a moment. And now the journey really began. The Jew was simply another person. Those days were gone. He's now working with the body of Christ. I guess we better go there. Ephesians chapter 4. And let's start on verse 8. Interesting, in the book of Psalms, David, the, the writer of Psalms, he prophesied in Psalm 68 verse 18. He said, "Thou, my King James, you have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Now you understand that in that context, he's got the Hebrews and the Jews kind of locked up under the law. The rebellious he was talking about is us, the Gentiles. So here's that prophetic word coming. So now Jesus ascends into heaven. And that's where he received his gifts. Look. Wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity, cavity, and gave gifts unto men. Now he received them back in the Old Testament prophetically. But he gave those gifts after he ascended on high. 
Now we're going to talk about what those gifts are in a minute. These particular gifts that that, that um, concern our talk, talking today. Now we go to verse 10. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Remember, heaven was empty without him. He went up into the heavens, and today the heavens are absolutely consumed and filled with Christ. His blood is there, gave us access so that we could be holy in heaven with him. I'm going to show you where your life really is. Okay, and then here's the gifts he gave, and here's why he gave them. And he gave some he gave gifts, some apostles, and I'm not going to glorify any of these particular ministries. They're simply servant ministries for us, but they're deeply important, and they're all different. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, and here's why he gave them. He gave them for the furnishing of the church. Now, God, there's at least two pictures that God gives us of the church, of you. He gives us a picture of a house. house has rooms, a foundation, a roof. He gives us a picture of a house. There's order in a house. The other picture he gives us is that of a body. Like a man. I was in a home a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about that and, and about how they see Jesus. And I said, well, let me tell you how I see Jesus. I said, I don't experience those thrills anymore. I'm sorry. I used to feel his presence. I don't feel his presence anymore. I hope that's not offensive to you. Why don't you feel his presence? Well, because I can no longer tell the difference between me and him. Are you all right? You see, when I, before these things took place in me and changed me, he was different than me, and I could feel his presence. He'd come and tingle my soul and my flesh. And don't get me wrong, I still pray and I still weep and I still laugh and I still enjoy him, my dad. But in terms of his presence, it's never different. I don't get worked up over the song. Nothing. It doesn't. Because he and I are one. And I know that. So are you. One with him. Now. So he gave these gift ministries for the furnishing of the saints. It's like giving. It's like I'm going to build my house. And I have to have material to do it. So somebody delivers all this material to me. And. I have to use that material to build. Well, that's what the gift ministries do. They deliver to us that which we need through words or whatever, the other gifts. You know, there are other gifts. as the gifts of the Spirit, for example, written in 1 Corinthians 12. And they're given to every one of us for the benefit of everybody else. They're to be developed and coveted and wanted and accepted and walked in and lived in. So you can give that away. Now listen, one thing about my house. I live in a house with my wife and my lovely daughters. Three of them. But that house is one. It's not scattered. I hope that says something to you about our lives, our daily lives. 
I, I like, here's a side note. Hospitality. And I made the announcement for that. Cause, uh, hospitality. Hospitality is a lost art today. I can't invite anybody to my house. Look at that carpet. I can't invite anybody to my, invite anybody to my house. I don't have enough food for them. I can't invite anybody to my house because the lawn's not. It's all flesh. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. The gift of hospitality gives opportunity for the Holy Spirit not to gather together and talk about our, uh, the ball game, not to gather together and talk about things of this world. Not relevant, my job, money, it, not relevant. Kingdom people are focused on the kingdom. So if we open our homes to one another, in this house right here, this body right here, I can't do anything about the church down the road. It's this church. I open my home, and we start gathering together in homes, eating together, whatever we have. If I don't have any money, bring some food. Whatever. It gives God, the Holy Spirit, opportunity to flesh out His truth in us. Words of knowledge. My wife and I experienced this for several years when we first got saved. We had met friends, ate together, had them over to our home, a number of us. We homeschooled our sons back in the early 80s. And they were homeschooling their children. But we'd gather, and the Word would be premier. In prayer, we'd pray together. One of the brothers and I, we used to we'd go downtown during the summertime, downtown Detroit, and pass out tracks and preach during those ethnic festivals downtown. Some glorious memories there. And so, as a rule, church doesn't do that. We come from four corners on Sunday, and I didn't mean to talk about this. Come from four corners on Sunday and then go up. Oh, we have some friends. What we're talking about here is building Christ in one another's lives through hospitality. Giving ourselves to Him and to one another to build Christ. So to open our hearts to allow God to do that with us. Okay. Those gifts were given to do the work of service. Serving the body of Christ. Now it's God who calls men out and gives them gifts, these gifts. Not everybody has it. He also equips, and more than that, he deals with those gifts so that they have something pure to give. Because we're talking about something eternal here, God. And the next thing he does is he's building the structure. There's a head, there's shoulders, the thigh bone connected to the leg bone type of thing, right all the way down. We are each members in particular of that body with Jesus as the head in heaven. You are in heaven too. I don't know if you knew that or not. Today, you're not going to heaven someday. Your life is right now in heaven. You have been already raised with him into heavenly places. You have, a, you have an audience with him all the time. You understand the mysteries. And love is developed in your heart where you have honest love. 
your emotions have been set aside. You use your emotions, you still have them, but they don't run you. You run them. I heard Pat say earlier about saying no to the flesh. That's all part of the flesh. Now, God has emotions. He weeps, he laughs, but they don't run his life. Now, <laughs> we can sit down in a room someplace with a few of it and just really have a good time with some of this stuff. Anyway, okay. But the purpose is that each one of us would come into the unity in the faith. That we'd all be speaking the same thing. I don't mean the same words. I mean the same truth. That's the purpose of it. So that we come in to the same unity of the faith that was delivered to the saints. Also, he wants us to have the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, the knowledge of the Son of God is the very knowledge of God, not just knowing God. Some of us know a lot about God, but to know God, but to also have the knowledge that he has, his knowledge. How else can you be Christ in the earth, which you are, without understanding what God understands. It's written in the Psalms that the children of Israel saw what God did, but Moses knew how he did it. He knew his ways. So there's this race that we're in, and it's not against one another. It's a track and a path that we're on, and it's consuming us to be just like dad. We're children. To grow up into him in all things because that's the next thing. He wants us to come into that perfect measure of the Son of God. Then he says, it's the stature of the fullness of Christ. But anyway, that we're no longer like children. It's amazing. Go on YouTube or you internet or any place. All this stuff, these preachers talking stuff that don't edify, don't bring me into the precious love and wisdom and the hope of God. Now our calling, our calling in the first place is to be full-grown sons of God. And out of that, other calls come, like Caleb, going off to the military, going to be a medic. He settled on that, evidently. It's God working in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. That's what He does. So faith, our faith in what God is doing in us is really important. I know what it feels like to be buried in a shallow grave, to be alive, to have six inches of dirt on me, and hearing footsteps and voices all around me. I couldn't cry out. Nobody could hear me. Nobody knew I was there. I know what that feels like. So my faith had to sustain me that somehow God is in the middle of this. So my faith reaches out, and this is where exploits come from. When you think about a man that would let, you know, Philip, for example, in the Scriptures, he goes down to a revival in Samaria. I mean, people are being healed and saved and delivered and blessed and all kinds of wonderful things going on, miracles taking place, and the Holy Spirit says, Philip, leave the revival. Go down to Gaza by the way of the desert. 
Wait a minute. Who's this talking to me? I'm in the middle of this great revival going on. So he turns his back on a revival, and he goes down to Gaza. And he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. I don't know what happened after that. Not even relevant. We see that Philip obeyed God. And then he experienced a little miracle of his own. He was taken up and sent home by the Spirit. So our obedience to God, to, to, to live the adventure of the gospel, depends upon our abandonment to him, our rejection of the flesh, and our faith towards him. And that we don't love our own lives, even unto death. We're not protecting ourselves. We're releasing ourselves to him and let him. I'm casting vision today. I could be detailed. I'm not going to. Take too long. I could tell you what I meant by that, but I'm not going to. Just casting vision today. Anyway. <laughs> now, who is it that is lying in wait to deceive? It says right here in the 14th verse of Ephesians 4 that we're not to be carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of man, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now, it's interesting to me. I always thought this is just people who are outside of Christ, who are meaner than a snake, and who just want to deceive. It's not true. That's not true. What we're looking at here is the natural man walking in the body of the sins of the flesh. Because over in Colossians, where I hope to go to yet, in Colossians, he says, don't let any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Amen. And that's what we're talking about here. We get puffed up with ourselves, and we have to release what we have. So we have this great message that we have to give out. But if it doesn't develop Christ in my life, then it's a no-value message to me. It's just more knowledge that I don't need. And I can get caught up in doctrines. I remember as a young man in the church, I got, you know, all kinds of doctrines came through, healing and demonic things, and we were learning. But the churches went with this thing, and, and, and it caused some destruction, rather than being solidly rooted and grounded in the Word of God to understand what's going on here. He wants us to grow up in Him in all things. And then he says right here what I said a minute ago, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. You know, my hands, they don't know what they're doing. They don't. I don't know what I'm saying next. It comes from, my, 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 it comes from the head. It comes from Christ. So that's us. We're just functioning as believers with our faith totally sealed and solid in Christ. That's what we're doing here. Okay. Then here's what happens. Here's how the body is actually built. It's not built by preachers and teachers. All they, all they can do is, is furnish, bring tools, uh, materials, supplies, stuff like that. Now I have to take that, that understanding, and I have to incorporate it into my life, into my vision. And the Holy Spirit will make all that real to me. So here's what happens, though, and here's why, here's why we must be more gathered. He says, verse 16, 
from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. You know, my fingers aren't off here someplace. The blood in my body is still in my body. There's a structure to our body. He said, we're compacted by that which every joint supplies. We're held together even by one another. We're encouraged and taught and instructed through one another. That's the body of Christ. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part. And you are a part. And you have more value than you know. More power than you understand. Your part in the body will help increase the body of itself in love, which is the bottom line. So that's why hospitality is so necessary. Now, if you run over my last set of scriptures, we're almost done, I think. Because I told you, I'm not trying to teach you anything today. It might sound like it. I'm simply casting vision. I want you to see what I see. The body of Christ. I want you to see how precious you are. Let me sidetrack just for a minute. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, Paul, he's talking about a people who, first of all, love Jesus. Love Him. And they love the saints. See that in Colossians. How could he know that? Well, because they were together. Because they spent a lot of time together. And he saw their love for one another. And he heard about it. It was a sound that went out. This love. This safety. This security. This discipline. This wonderful love. This wonderful presence of God in the crowd. In the group. In the body. He says, I'm praying for you. I want you, I want God to give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding so that you can know what he knows. I want you to know, really know the hope of his calling. What are you really called to? Not individually. And yes, individually. But it's working out corporately. I want you to see who you really are. I want you to see the real call on your life is not to be a preacher or a pastor or a medic. That's a subsidiary. The first and foremost call is you would just be like him completely, 100% without fail. God. Because the fullness of the God, you're complete in him today, right now. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in you bodily because it dwelt in Christ. You're part of his body. can't separate that. You cut that finger from my hand, I'm going to experience pain and bleeding. It's joined, compacted to the rest of me. He says, I also want you to know what he knows about this. I want you to understand his inheritance, which is you. God owns everything. Silver, gold, plutonium, platinum. Oh, stop. All the crops in the fields. What? 
All the cattle? That's nothing. You are his inheritance, and he paid a dear price for you. He paid a dear price for you and for me. So, each one of us, being so different, look different, act different, do different things, we're so different. But that is the beauty, that's the glory of the riches that is his inheritance in the saints. That you have a spirit that's different from everybody else. Your spirit is different from hers. And your spirit is different from his. You were born with that. Your soul is so much different than mine. The only thing that brings us together is the spirit of God commingled with our spirit. I go to Panera every morning over in Benton. I wear hearing aids. I'm not asking God to heal my ears. I like to turn them off when I go in there. I can't hear a thing. (laughs) I can sit there and worship and praise Him and read His Word and meditate, and I don't hear anything. I don't want to lose that. I'm very happy with my own thoughts. I don't listen to music. I don't listen to anything. I don't listen to much of anything. I'm really happy with my own thoughts. I'm happy being myself. I was alone for several years, really alone. And, it, and it, God was in it. it taught, that's what it taught me. It, it weeded me out some other things so that I could be alone. It's a wonderful thing. So we're all so different. And one thing that binds us together, even in our differences, is the Spirit of God. So God looks upon us not just individually, but collectively. And he and think how big it is around the world and for how many years. I mean, this dispensation that we're in right now, God is gathering together in one, all things in Christ, in himself. That's what he's doing. So in heaven and in earth, the body of Christ is today. So he looks at that and look at the size of his inheritance. And look at the beauty of his inheritance. Each of us has a particular jewel in his crown. Malachi says, and they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard. These are mine, he says, and in the day that I make up my jewels, I will save them, as a man saves his own son who serves him. So you are so precious Individually, but collectively, we are a beautiful inheritance that the Lord loves and is very rich. He wants us to understand that because we don't love each other because we're so lovable. Oh, he's such a nice guy. Oh, he's such a nice woman. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we have those. But some of us aren't all that nice. Some of us are all that pretty. To the naked eye, to the natural eye. That's something else. You have two eyes. This eye here is earthbound. It can only see 
the natural senses. All I can see is what's in earth, laterally. But the other eye you have that he wants you to develop is an eye that can see things from heaven. Seeing things from here, looking down, life looks different. Because he can take you right back to the beginning and show you where we're at, how we got here, why, where it's going. Eternal judgment, that's part of our foundation. So, he also wants us to know this. He wants us to know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. He told me a couple of years ago, in my lonely hour, he said, listen, you feel the sick. I've seen the dead raised, another thing that's great. He said, if the real power is in the clan, that's an interesting word, isn't it? What conjures up in your mind when I say the word clan? Huh? An old Western name. Yeah, yeah. The Hatfields and McCoys in their war. A couple of clans at odds with one another. No, what he was, and I saw it, what he's saying is, here's a, here's a, a people. And by the way, he adds to those people. And it gets bigger and stronger. And nothing is impossible to that people. There's no sick in our midst. There's no one broken hungry. Let me challenge you with this. I want you to go to Acts, not now. Remember this, Acts chapter 2. And start with verse 41. And go down maybe to 47. When I first read that years ago, Basically, what we're seeing here is we're seeing the early church in its lifestyle. The Lord taught the apostles so that when the apostles preached, they understood that they were calling this people out of their lifestyle into another lifestyle. So now we see that lifestyle. Well, I didn't know that. There's a lot I don't understand. I don't mind telling you that. I'm like you, I'm on my journey. However, I said, oh, Lord, what a wonderful sovereign move that you did back then to create the church looking like that, giving themselves to you, one another, praying daily, gathering together in their homes and eating and rejoicing. And you're adding people and the power is there. Miracles, signs, and what? Oh, do it again. Well, a couple of years ago, I said the same thing to him. He said, stop. Huh? Read it. Look again. I never saw that. Ever. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And they continually remain steadfast in what the apostles were teaching. And here's the fruit of it. The Lord taught them to teach the church to live like that. A separate kingdom. Did you know that they're going to take a census here, I understand. 2020? They're going to take a census. Well, God takes a census of the world. 
He knows exactly how many people are on the earth. But I tell you right now, Margie, you are not included. Numbers 23. He does not include you in the census of the world because you're a separate nation. You're a citizen of heaven. You have this citizenship of the United States. And by the way, it's losing its value, you notice. However, well, I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, that's the wasn't part of that. Strike. Strike that out. You're a citizen of heaven. So you're not even included in the census. So you're a separate nation. You have a different lifestyle. You go into a place where there's discipline, safety, power, love, supply. You're never again laying on the bed at night weeping over something. Because you've got sisters and brothers that take it up for you. And they fight the fight and fight the battle. And you don't run around sick in your body because you've got your brothers and sisters there. They'll fight for you. Because you're one loaf. Let me go back to that same word, could I? Hospitality. For the purpose of sharing Christ together. Bring something with you. Not a dish to pass. Bring something from your spirit, from the Word. I'll never forget. I don't know why I remember this so well. I was in Ray Retask. He's living in a dining room one morning. We were having breakfast on a Saturday. And I was going through something new in the Lord. Of course we are. That's what we do. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But I have overcome the world, he says. And you are the I. Because you're his body. Now, he read that scripture out of Isaiah. When you, uh, I have called you by, your, by my name, you are mine. When you walk through the fire, uh, when you pass through the water, I'll be with you. Anyway, that's great. Well, I'm not stopping there. Wait a minute. If I'm going to reference the scripture, I'm going to give it to you. But this had an amazing effect on me at that moment. It was God talking right to me. And it was so glorious. And I know that you've had these experiences as well. But I got the floor. Look at there. <laughs> but now thus saith the Lord, Isaiah 43, one that created thee, he that formed thee, O Jacob, fear not. For I have redeemed thee. I've called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. <sighs> Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. That just came to me and struck a chord in me. It gave me strength forever. Because it was that word of knowledge or wisdom coming through this brother. And that's who you are. You have the power and ability to bless others in their walk. You have the power to heal one another. You have the power of knowledge of God. Nothing is impossible to you. But I want to show you something that God told me in February of 2007. I got in my car and I drove to... Uh, Myrtle Beach to spend a week alone with the Lord, fasting and praying. I went into a Holiday Inn on the water, nobody there. 
And I stayed there and just prayed and fasted. Finally, he spoke. He said, I want you to think like me. Now, listen, this isn't just for Ken. This is for all of us. I want you to think like me. And it's taken a while for this to really hold. What about 12 years? Anyway, he says, nothing is impossible. Write this down. I, okay, I started writing. Nothing is impossible. There are no obstacles. That's a challenge, isn't it? Do you see a lot of obstacles in your life? Of course. Because it's, we're seeing with these eyes. The interests of the kingdom are premier. That means that he'll step on earth and on the world to handle my issues because I am part of the kingdom and my interests are premier to him. My church is precious. That's us. I bless men. So he's still blessing even the unkind, those that are outside of the Christ. He's blessing. And he said, I haven't said this for a long time. Um, he said, I'm loyal. Loyal. He said he's loyal. I'm almost done. He says, and I never quit. God never gives up on anyone, ever. And he never gives up what he started. He finishes what he started. So, I just saw my wife, I think. We're closing out. So that's what I'm telling you today. That you and God are one. That you're not just a natural person with flesh and blood. That's just a house, a temporary, a temporary expression of Him in this world. But we're all going to pass from this world, some of us quicker than others. But it's not relevant. It doesn't matter. Because in Christ, we're already living in heaven. That's from whence we draw our life. So, thank you for listening to me today. Now, let's do this. I think I should do this, Pat. If anybody needs prayer today, or whatever, we should gather here and pray. And touch the Lord for one another. And... Uh, I haven't talked to you about demon spirits. I could, but I won't. Not today. I, I don't have enough time to do everything I could do. But demons are real, and they oppress men, and they bring in depression and bondage and all kinds of stuff. They're bad news. And they, uh, they hinder us in all sorts of ways. They make us lonely, fearful, angry. They break up homes. They're liars. They're thieves. They're murderers. That's what they do. So if you have something that's overcoming you, just come and tell us about it. We'll deal with it. Because I can tell you right now about the devil and me. He's going to do what I tell him to do, period. And there are no exceptions, and there's no failures. He will do what I tell him to do.
because he knows me, and I know him. My Father's given me authority, and he's given you authority. So, so let's desire the sincere milk of the Word so that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. Understand him? Okay? All right. Bless you. Thanks for letting me pray. Teach you and treat you. I didn't see this, Pat.